0: Edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. On campus in Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And in Nashville, straight out of the film room, it's the coach, Corey Burton.
1: What's up, boys? You're uh, ready for another edition. Um, it was not a good world's largest outdoor cocktail party weekend. Um, we'll get to that in one of my slants. So, um, anyway, my foot's hurting, but I'm ready to do a show.
0: All right, Coach. Well, we'll be uh, uh, thinking about your foot during the show, I guess, hoping you get better. But uh, the other person who will be with us, third amigo in the second city, a man who knows a thing or two about emerging markets. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and County, Josh Cook.
2: Oh, you always always bring up these weird inside jokes that no one knows what we're talking about. Uh, I just wanted to say right off the bat that I don't know if it's because Iowa didn't play or because all the games were fantastic, but this last Saturday was by far my favorite Saturday of the season so far. Really glad to talk about it with you. All. Uh,
0: yeah, it was definitely a fun one. So, um, well, Josh, let's get into it right, right quick. Then, and why don't you start us off with some quick slants?
2: All right. Well, I'm going to do a really quick Big Ten whip around uh, of all but one of the games because we'll, that'll be a deep route for us. But uh, Iowa and Rutgers were off. Iowa will be mentioned for a couple of teams tiebreakers. Uh, Rutgers going about as expected. This year, but they may have found their quarterback. He's only a junior, and that's kind of nice, though, because Chris Ash will be able to have the quarterback of his future redshirt next year, learn the offense, and it just helps with a rebuild to not throw a guy into the fire like that. So, the easiest game to uh, to talk about in terms of tiebreakers was Indiana's victory over Maryland. These two teams are battling for bowl positions, uh, and Indiana really, really needed the win. It got them to four and four. And they still have Michigan and Penn State left, so they would have really needed to pull an upset if they didn't beat Maryland. Um, they've got Rutgers and Purdue as their other two games, so if they can beat those two teams, you would love their chances to make a bowl game. Uh, Maryland, the loss drops them to five and three, but they finish with Rutgers, so they sh- should still be able to make a bowl game. They have three really, really tough games next, but like I said, they finished. With an easy one. Uh, Minnesota had sort of played down to the level of competition all year, but they blew out Illinois. They are six and two, three and two in the Big Ten, but they haven't played either Wisconsin or Nebraska. So they are very much alive in the Big Ten West race, as crazy as that sounds, because they have played some very confusing games this year, for instance, barely beating Rutgers a week ago. Uh, Illinois, the loss drops them to two and six. They still have some tough games left. They are all but eliminated from bowl contention. Uh, This was a huge win for Wisconsin, keeps them alive in the Big Ten race. Nebraska has Ohio State next, so you sort of would expect them to uh, get their second Big Ten loss since that game is in Columbus, although Nebraska played pretty well. We'll see. And then that leads to the most confusing games because the Big Ten East is a jumbled up mess. Um, Penn State beat Purdue, they are 6-2, and 4-1, and one, but they have the tiebreaker over Ohio State. So if Ohio State beats Michigan and they all finish with one conference loss, you have to look at the Big Ten tiebreakers. And if two teams are tied, it's just the head-to-head. But if three teams or more are tied, they've got six steps that they go through. And the very first one is – the record of the three teams uh, against each other. Well, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State would all be one, one, and one in that situation. Uh, the next tiebreaker is uh, against teams in their own division. While well, they would still be tied in that, so then the next tiebreaker is uh, teams placed in their division of order of finish four, five, and six, four, five, six, and seven none of them will have losses to those lower teams. Uh, So you can see these tiebreakers really don't help. The next one is compared against common conference opponents. That, again, you know, for instance, Iowa plays Michigan and Penn State, but not Ohio State, so that's hard to do. The team with the best overall winning percentage, excluding exempt games, which I don't know what that means, but in terms of our overall winning percentage, that hurts – Penn State, because they have the out-of-conference loss to Pitt. So, Penn State, as it stands now, is kind of behind the eight ball. Um, Ohio State's win over Northwestern keeps them alive, obviously. And Northwestern is uh, a little bit like Minnesota. They still have Wisconsin left. They did lose to Nebraska, but they are mathematically still in it. And then Michigan's win over Michigan State. Uh, That sets them apart, because they have the tiebreaker over Penn State. They get Ohio State late in the season and the way Ohio State's looked the last few weeks, a Blue Nation has to like their chances at putting another rivalry game that's ripped them off in the past to rest. But that's kind of uh, the Big Ten this week.
0: All right, thank you, Josh. Uh, Coach, what do you got for your first slant?
2: Well, my first
1: slant, it was a deep route when we previewed it. It's not a deep route, so I'll quick explain it. The Georgia Florida game was probably the most disappointing thing I've ever I've ever sat through. Um I've never considered twenty four ten a blowout, but if you watch that game, it was a blowout. Because when your when your star Heisman candidate has nine carries for twenty yards, it's a bad day. Easton was running for his life all day long. Offensive line couldn't block a soul. The defense is probably the most brilliant that I've seen it all year long. You know, hats off to them. They played, they had a great game plan against Georgia, sell out against the run, force the ball into Easton's hands. They did that. They got after him and they went out and dominated this game. I mean, that's all I can say about it, really. Um, you know, then Luke Del Rio does his thing. Uh, what really, you know, what really stands out, and I know this has kind of a, been kind of a theme for us uh, this year, hashtag, uh, third phase and, uh, third phase, most important phase. field position was the, was the big key for Florida. Florida never really had a drive that was longer than 50 yards. All of their scoring drives ended up or was a result of a short field. So, um, They they had 231 yards of total offense. So Georgia's defense played pretty well considering what they had going against them. They just weren't fortunate. They were unfortunate with bad punting, three and outs, and just not being able to get anything going. And it's it's disappointing because at this point of the year, you hire this offensive line guru, and your offensive line is getting worse. You you have this freshman quarterback who's not really a freshman anymore because he's been there since January. And doesn't seem like you're helping them out too much. You know, you're not finding your tight ends. You're not using the weapons that you have available to you. You just seem to be kind of forcing a game plan that doesn't need to be forced. I mean, do what you need to do to help Easton out. It's okay to get in power formations every once in a while, but you got to mix it up. You got to be, you got to be multiple. You got to be able to adapt. You got to be able to use your playmaker and you got to be able to have and use the weapons that you have at your disposal. So you know, all around, you know, you can't really pin this loss on one one person or one group. This was pretty much a total team loss. Uh, defense broke a couple of times with a short field, but if I had to say there was somebody that played well, it's probably I'll, I'll tip my hat to the defense. But offensive special teams were were atrocious to say the least. So what this means, Florida now has a comfortable lead in the SEC East. Um, looks like they're on the road to uh, to Atlanta. Um, they have remaining games against Arkansas, South Carolina, LSU. Um, It's not an easy road, but the way Arkansas has been playing lately, you know, that became an easier game. LSU uh, is going to be a tough one, but they still have that cushion over their next best team. So um, it'll be an interesting road, but I I think Florida's got it pretty much locked up. Georgia uh, is going to be fighting to get into a bowl. Um, It it looks bleak with what they have left. They have Kentucky. Uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, Auburn, and Georgia Tech left on the schedules to somehow manage uh, two wins to become bowl eligible. So, be interesting to see what what happens here in uh, in the near future. Well, I don't want to scare you, Coach, but Kentucky's
2: uh, second now in the East. They've put together some nice football as a
1: play. They have. They've turned it on, and and they found how am mighty They found a, they found a way to play football, and it's it's scary. Yeah, I'm I'm scared to death because Georgia never plays well up in Lexington. So. It's not like we have that to hang our hat on. I mean, they're good. We never play well there. in combination that could lead to another loss.
0: Well, I'm I'm getting on my soapbox for my first quick slant today to talk about uh, an SEC team coach uh, and its relation to ESPN's Football Power Index. Now, I really appreciate uh, advanced analytics and statistics, and I think it helps me and a lot of other people better understand the game at times. However, I think that this is one time that uh, ESPN's analytics department is getting a little too cute. Um, Ole Miss, the three and five rebels coming off of three consecutive conference losses in which they looked uh, terrible in all three, uh, are ranked 14th. Um, they do, even though football, the FPI does not predict them to finish with an even 500 record, they are still ranked ahead of uh, a six and one Florida team, a six and two Wisconsin team, a seven and one Nebraska team, a, a six and two Oklahoma State team. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And if you have a metric that says that Ole Miss is the 14th best team in the country your metric clearly needs to be changed because it is not watched any football. This team has nothing to play for at this point. They're terrible. You, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't show up to games. They don't seem like they care. They've got their heads in in, in the clouds and I, I don't know what's going on there, but for a metric to say that Ole Miss is the 14th best team in the country and USC, I know they're better under Sam Sam Donald, but still USC is the 12th best team in the country uh, is, Clearly flawed at best. So I'm, I, I'm just, I have a bone to pick with the SPN and the FBI on this because it, it, it just, you need to rethink your formulas when, when you're doing this kind of math.
2: And, and I agree with you. I mean, you brought up them being ahead the of Wisconsin, and I, I didn't have time to look at all the teams because this was your slant, but LSU was a common opponent.
0: LSU's uh, common kind opponent,
2: of and Wisconsin beat
0: them. LSU lost by seventeen. Mm-hmm. And LSU is only ranked as well. Sorry, LSU is ranked as the eighth. It uh, is ranked as the eighth best team in the country by this metric, um, ahead of Texas A&M, uh, ahead of you know uh, some other pretty big name teams, but. So I, I don't know I I just there's something going on there and it, it it really got under my skin for some reason so I just had to get that off my chest uh, so Josh back to you for your second slide uh,
2: Matt you yeah. know I didn't I didn't hear anything you just said so I don't know if it was my connection or oh connection. sorry I
0: no, that I think that was actually my connection um uh so I th- so yeah what what I was saying was that you know you want me to just do my prop again what's that. You want me to just do my prompt about LSU again? No, no, no. I, I, I got it from there. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, no. Uh, just, I was just saying that LSU was ranked eighth in this. So, Wisconsin, the 16th-ranked team, beats the 8th-ranked team and doesn't get any credit for it, whereas the Ole Miss team loses to them and is still somehow ahead, even though they have a common opponent, and one team doesn't look like they're playing at all and has zero chance to win their own conference. So, good job by you, ESPN stats and info. Josh, your second slant?
2: Yeah, mine's a little weird. We normally don't talk about a one and seven football team or an zero oh and five in conference team, unless uh, unless it's Kansas. But uh, I wanted to talk about the Iowa State rebuild. This is a team that I had as a sleeper to go six and six and, and make a bowl game, and I was laughed at. And I'll admit they've they haven't gotten the wins, but if you really look at the rebuild. It's coming along nicely. Um, Their last four games, three of them have been insanely competitive. They lost to Baylor by a field goal. They lost in Stillwater by a touchdown. They lost to Kansas State by just five points. Um, This is a team that's playing a lot better than they did in the first few games of the season. That's a nice time improvement. We're playing with a brand-new coach who's the youngest coach in the Power Five conference, but the other thing that I really like about them is their stats are getting great, great contributions from players that will be there for a few more years. So their quarterback Joel Lanning, he's only a junior. He's got he's on pace to have way more yards than he did last year. He's got a four point higher completion percentage than last year. Uh, over a yard more per attempt. He's got nine touchdowns on the young year. He only had 10 last year. Uh, His quarterback rating is way up, so he's looking a lot better. They'll have him for an entire year. Uh, Jacob Parks is a sophomore. They've sprinkled him in. They're getting some great experience from him. So they'll be able to get, uh, if he doesn't win the job next year, they already have a quarterback waiting in the wings for when landing. Graduates, So that's impressive. Alan Lazard, their leading receiver, is a fantastic talent. Uh, he's one of the Big 12's best cap secrets. He's having another solid, solid year. He already has four touchdowns. He just had six all of last season. Uh, this is a guy that he's a junior. They'll be able to have him next season. And then there are two young pups in the skill position. We've talked at length about Mike Warren. He's having another solid season. He's only a sophomore. I know his yards are down a touch. The offensive line isn't quite as good. Uh, It hasn't been a disappointing season by him. It's been a disappointing season by the, the line in front of him. So I think Warren's fine. They still have two full years of him. But the really impressive story for me, for Iowa State going forward, is the play they're getting from Deshante Jones. This is a freshman receiver. He's got five touchdowns on the young year, or for a young player on the year. Uh, he's got over 300 receiving yards. He's playing really, really well. He's the second leading receiver, learning from Lazard. That tandem next then should be really good because right now teams are just doubling up Lazard and not letting him operate. But if Jones can, can start to command more respect, it just helps their offense more and more. And the other nice thing about Deshante Jones is he's a little versatile. If you give him four touches as a back, he's averaging 7.8 yards per carry. That's a dynamic that they can sprinkle more and more packages for him on those jet sweeps and things like that. Take advantage of this electric young player. Things are looking up in Ames. I know their record is terrible but uh, maybe I was off by a year for their bowl prediction. And depending on their schedule next season, I could buy them getting to that 6-6 six and six mark next year.
0: All right. Um, well, thank you, Josh. Yeah, it sounds like you might be buying a, a little land out there in Ames to watch this team here in the near future.
2: <laughs> That's what's fun about the quick segment, is we're going to talk about whatever we want. It felt like a good time to, to bring up some – Improving stuff out of the uh, the brothers in Iowa. Obviously, I'm a hawk fan, but I don't hate the Cyclones. It's a weird rivalry how that operates.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, because you can pity them. So let's face it; <laughs> I mean, it makes it a lot easier when that happens. So um- Cyclone Nation, he is putting words in my mouth, <laughs> Coach. You got a second plan?
1: Yeah, uh, just wanted to bring up some news that happened uh, over the weekend uh, between Saturday and when we started filming or recording this, and. I want to talk about Jalen Hurd. Uh, I want to bring that up and, and kind of want to throw it out to you guys as well just so we can get your opinions on it and we can kind of address this issue here. Uh, but for those who haven't found out the story just yet, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, Jalen is planning on transferring and he's going to transfer in order to pursue a position change. Uh, said he felt that the coaching staff at Tennessee was not putting him in the best positions for safety. Um, at a, as a running back, they weren't calling plays to protect his safety, and he felt that uh, he wanted to further his career as a, at a different position, at a different school. Um, sounds kind of odd, the fact that he's a junior and the fact that he's transferring. It sounds like it's more than just – I think there's a lot more going on It uh, seems. I wouldn't be surprised if more came out about this, but it just seems odd. Just you know, it just struck me as, you know, first of all, when I first heard, I was like, well, he's quitting. Uh, the second thing I heard was, uh, you know, the second thing I took from it was, you know, something, something's not right in Knoxville, and and then you, you heard a bunch of other stories, and there's a lot, a whole lot of injuries with that team, and.
0: Actually, Coach, uh, before you uh, before you joined us today, Josh and I were, were talking about this a little bit. And, Josh, I know that you had mentioned uh, something with the offensive coordinator.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing I enjoy doing, and I actually suggest a lot of football fans to do it. But whenever a team loses in embarrassing fashion, go over to their SB Nation blog and read all the comment section. It's, it's really fun. Um, but a lot of the people in those comment sections were, really ragging on the offensive coordinator. And I had a hard time really seeing that because, like, they put up a lot of points against <clears> – <throat> excuse me – against Texas a They put up a lot of points against Florida. I didn't feel like they had an offensive issue as an outsider just kind of watching their games. And so that was all surprising. Um, the thing that you know, I was telling you, Matt, off the air was if – like 10, 15 more players transfer, and obviously it's a Butch Jones issue. And he's lost the locker room, and once he lost, lost the locker room, you got to go. But if it's just Jalen Hurd, then you know maybe the marriage just went scale for Hurd. Maybe he does want that position change. He's a pretty good receiver. I was looking at his numbers. He's got 10 catches for 81 yards. This year uh, missed some time, obviously, so he's got one game fewer. For that, for his career, he's got he's a decent uh, receiving back. So six four two forty, he probably could be a tight end. But um, you know, if if this is the start of a mass exodus, that's on Butch Jones. If it's just heard, I think something's just going on with him. And um, you know, running backs do take a pounding. Maybe maybe this is not quite the retirement that some NFL players have done, but maybe it's a guy recognizing he still loves the game. But taking all those hits could not be the best thing for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's interesting. I mean, he's a big kid. He's six four, two thirty, two forty, something like that. And you know, from the sound of it, it sounds like he's going to be his best position in the NFL is going to be tight end. So he looks like he might be wanting to go somewhere that's going to use him as a tight end. You don't often see people switch from running back to tight end. You see receiver to tight end, but not. Tailback to tight ends, so I think that's a uh, you know one of the sort of key issues going forward here for him. And where is he going to transform this kid? was a five-star coming out of high school, coach. So I mean, he's going to have pretty much to hit his places to go. But now you've got to think about: what does he have character issues? That kind of thing.
2: Well, I want to you know I want to flip it around and ask you, coach. Let's say someone, let's say a kid comes to your office and is like, "Hey, coach, I don't really feel comfortable playing this position anymore. I think I would have." a chance at making a college roster in a different position. How would you handle that uh, behind the scenes? Because it, it's easy for Matt and I to comment as commentators, but you're the one actually coaching students.
1: Well, behind the scenes, you know, I, I would look at – I would consider it. I, I would say uh, let's let's explore that option in the spring. I wouldn't just go ahead and switch them now and say, hey, let's finish out the season here, and then we'll take a look at it. Um, let's get you in the training room. Let's get you well. and. Get you healthy, and let's let's uh, let's uh, let's look at that here in the spring, um, you know, and, and see. And then I would, you know, in the off season, I would talk to people and get some advice from people. And if it's legitimate, then or if it's if it's something that we can do, and I feel like he can help the team, then I'm going to pull the trigger and say, all right, let's try this. If I don't think he can help the team, if I think his best chance to help the team is is staying at running back. I'm going to tell them probably, hey, this is your best chance to help our team. And, you know, I think you still have a really good chance of getting drafted and playing in the NFL.
0: But,
1: you know, and then leave that as it may. But uh, me personally, I would probably end up at the end of the day, probably end up exploring it, but not the spring practice
0: all right um yeah i mean i i think that's some really good insight for me there coach i appreciate it um well we're got to move on to uh, a little bit uh you know uh, just the last free slant uh sorry last quick slant i don't know what a free slant is coach i, I that, that's going to be a new play for you the free slant but um our quick slant my last quick slant. A quick look around uh, the American Conference, like always, you could have guessed this one coming up. Um, but let's start um, with uh, let's start in Memphis, where Tulsa, in, in one of the bigger upsets of the in the conference of the, over the weekend, the Golden Hurricane went into Memphis and left a wave of run over Tigers defenders in its wake. Tulsa crewed 596 yards of total offense, with a lot of it coming from tailbacks James Flanders, who rushed for 249 yards and five touchdowns. Quarterback Dane Evans was efficient, twenty for thirty-three, two hundred thirty-four yards, and two scores. And Tulsa ran away with this in the third and fourth quarters. After Memphis completed to five after the first drive of the second half. Even though Riley Ferguson, uh, Memphis quarterback, at three hundred forty-nine yards, he still looked pretty shaky in this game, completing less than fifty percent of his passes, as well as throwing two picks. One bright spot for Memphis, though, was receiver Anthony Miller, who had 12 catches for 250 yards and two scores. Tulsa is definitely a surprise at the conference so far. Their only conference loss was a one-score affair in Houston. Um, next up, uh, Quinton Flowers had another outstanding game in South Florida's home win over the Navy Mission men, telling 395 yards and four touchdowns in their 52-45 to 45 victory. But don't let the score fool you. Um, the Bulls were in control of this game throughout. Navy scored three touchdowns late to get the score close, but never really threatened the Bulls' lead after they went up 52-24 midway through the fourth quarter. Marlon Mack and Dearness Johnson also had over 100 yards on the ground each giving the Bulls' three guys over the century mark. Navy quarterback Will Wirth had another solid day on the ground, 129 yards and four touchdowns, but he was forced to put it in the air a lot more than he's accustomed to with season-high 25 passing attempts. These two teams still sit atop their respective divisions, with Navy having tiebreakers over Houston and Memphis and South Florida uh, clear in the lead uh, with only Temple to worry about. Our uh, third game from the American Conference is uh, another close home victory for, over a much weaker opponent for Tom Herman's Houston Cougars, this time being the UCF Knights, 31 to 24. Another down performance by Greg Ward Jr., who threw for three picks and averaged less than one yard per carry on the ground. Uh, however, the Cougar defense forced four turnovers and able to come up when it mattered most, but really not a great. October for Houston, and they're hoping as uh, the calendar month turns, uh, their performance on the field return after a, a pretty rough October, to say the least. Finally, the Bearcats of uh, Cincinnati continue their tumble, dropping to 1-4 in conference this season after being dominated by Temple in Philadelphia 34-13. Cincinnati never led in this game. They were shut out in the second half. Rich Tuberville seems to have no idea what he's doing with starting quarterbacks right now. Gunnar Kiel was back as the start of this week but it didn't didn't have any effect. The team managed just 186 yards of total offense against a smothering owl defense led by linebackers Avery Williams and praise Martin Gugier. Uh, Temple's offense had another balanced attack, with Jahad Thomas getting 151 yards on the ground. Quarterback Philip Walker had an efficient 12-for-19 with 199 yards and two scores. And Temple marches on to continue uh, to push South Florida in the East Division. And Cincinnati just keeps falling, and I, I got to think, Tubberville has played his way onto the hot seat. Josh, do you have anything? What do you think about that? Oh, I think he's
2: definitely played himself onto the hot seat. This is a guy that he really didn't do much at Texas Tech. He's kind of resting on his laurels of that good Auburn run. Um, And his teams have since then have gotten worse and worse each year. And this is a team, well, a program. That I know the Big 12 said so they're not expanding this season, but they got to feel like if their football team is relevant, they got a great shot at getting that league, and so falling off is not an option. And the other thing, uh, I loved your comment about Temple and South Florida. That's a, an absolute amazing race there. Uh, Temple has the tiebreaker, but UCF is a team that I would not want to play right now.
0: USF, USF. UCF, you probably want to play right now. Uh yeah, Scott, Scott Frost doing some nice work though in his first year there, I will say.
2: Um, you know what? I've been having a lot of vitamin orange supplements battling the sore throat. I'm going to make a few mistakes this show.
0: No. All right, well, it's time for us to move from Quicksilence <laughs> to play action, and uh, we're going to start with uh, the big game in the Big Ten, uh, the overtime home victory for uh, my beloved Wisconsin Badgers, 23-17 to over Nebraska. Uh, no Jack City, No no problem for the Badger defense. Ryan Connolly and Leon Jacobs filled in with exemplary performances. Connolly earning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week co honors. Uh, Josh, what was your big takeaway like for this game?
2: Well, I had, I had a takeaway for each team, and they were actually really similar, and it is the quarterback play. Uh, for Wisconsin, they let Hornabrook start, but they keep sprinkling in Houston, and I'm at a little bit of a loss for it because I think it's gotten abundantly clear that Hornabrook has the way higher ceiling, but is going to make some rookie mistakes. And Houston might make fewer mistakes, but in terms of just a pure talent level, is not even in the same zip code as Hornabrook. This was supposed to be a rebuilding season. I think Paul Christ is flustered a little bit that they're in contention for the West and with a top 10 ranking, they're in contention for the playoff and is trying to have his cake and eat it too. I would just ride Hornbrook. And if they don't make it to Indy, so be it. They were never supposed to be there based on the schedule and based on the reality. Um It's been a pleasant surprise, but you really need to think about the future and continually bringing in Houston is just disrupting everything. On the flip side, Tommy Armstrong Jr. is an incredible talent. I would love to have him on my roster. But he's a little banged up. He was in a walking boot earlier this year. He put up a bunch of numbers against some cupcakes, and we finally got to see him against a real defense. And the Riley pro style that coaching – Still doesn't quite fit with Armstrong's ability. You know, they want him to be in the pocket. His running is way down as a result. Uh, and, again, he is a little bit dinged up, so that would also affect his running. But passy, 12 of 31, two interceptions. He is listed as 6-1. He had a bunch of balls batted at the line. One of the interceptions was caused by a ball hit the line that then became a duck and was an easy interception. I don't think that Nebraska is equipped yet to beat the Wisconsin's, to beat the Ohio State's, to beat the Michigan's. They had a 7-0 start. They beat up against a bunch of easier teams. Their best win is Northwestern so far, who's just 4-4. Their other best win would probably be Wyoming, who has been a pleasant surprise. But, you know, this wasn't – This wasn't a Nebraska team that had a game like Wisconsin against LSU that they could fall back on and know how good they actually are. And Nebraska got exposed a little bit. And I know Ohio State has been struggling the last few weeks, but I just don't see how this Husker team goes into the shoe and wins getting that type of performance out of their passing attack. And their running game, Terrell Newby, he's a really good running back. He only had 17 carries. I know that Corey Clement only had 19 for Wisconsin, but Dare, I always mess up his name, but he had 11. And Corey and Dare are like a 1A, 1B. So if you sort of assume that they are one running back, they have 30 carries. Newbie doesn't have any other player to kind of help him out. He only had 17. I think Newby needed to touch the ball 20, 25 times even though their running per attempt was only 3.5 as a team, newbie was actually 4.5, which is not a horrible average against Wisconsin at all. So that was my takeaway. Not, not a great game plan by Nebraska and not a great quarterback tandem by Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, and I think that, um, we, you know, one of the things we talked about a couple, you know, earlier in the season with the Wisconsin is that against LSU, uh, you know, against Michigan State, even though they weren't getting big yards per carry, they kept running and wearing the team down. And, in Nebraska sort of abandoned that a little bit in the second half. And I think that, you know, graduate defense is kind of thin. They could have been worn down, and they weren't. Okay, we seem to have lost the coach. So uh, you and I are just going to continue on then uh, and uh, move on to uh, Clemson and Florida State. Clemson... uh, Huge road victory coming up really big in the fourth quarter to win 37-34. Deshaun Watson had another nice game. But, man, I mean, Florida State gave the ball to Dalvin Cook 19 times. And, Josh, like you mentioned with Newby on Nebraska, they should have given to him more. Dalvin Cook, hundred nineteen carries, 169 yards, and four touchdowns. A huge to left and right, but had one drop on that on that last drive for Florida state that if he'd caught that looked like he was going to take it to the house and that could have been the difference in a seminal victory. So, um, guys, I, I'm back. I, I don't know what the heck happened. Well, it's okay, coach. You're, you're just in time to talk, uh, Clemson, Florida state. So, uh, why don't you hop, hop right in there?
1: I will. Um, that was one of the, that was the game that I focused on after the, uh, Florida game, Georgia, Florida game. And, uh, I was, you know, it took me a minute to kind of get out of that haze of, wow, we look terrible and I hate losing to Florida and all that, you know, stuff that, you know, when I usually get back on the horse and, and start watching football again. But uh, it, it was a very entertaining game to watch. I mean, Clemson came out. It was actually Clemson that came out with the initial surge and Florida State was the team that had to calm down and the dope, the dope was, was rocking with the war chant and Chief Osceola on his horse, Renegade, and. Throwing the flaming spear in the middle of the field and all that good stuff, and that was fun to watch. And it, you know, I was surprised of at how rattled Florida State got in the beginning. It just seemed like that they were the ones that were uptight, and Clemson was the, the the calm team. And you know, they did their thing, and it looked like they were dominating, rolling, 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 stopping Dalvin Cook, doing what they need to do, making plays. Then all of a sudden, Dalvin Cook gets in. You know, and he breaks a couple of long runs. Game's tied up. DeAndre and Francois now is starting to kind of. I, I I think you know as as many times as I hammer him, I think he's starting to kind of grow up a little bit because it seems like every time I get on him, he, he does make a big play or he makes a good play or he plays well or well enough to win. And that and I think he played well enough to win against Clemson. It just wasn't in the cards for for Florida State. So uh, it, it was it was an even. It was a very, very even contest. I thought both teams came ready to play. I thought both teams were, were crisp. I thought both teams were played extremely hard, extremely competitive. And, and that's the kind of game you get uh, when, when you have two teams like that, two even teams that play hard. I mean, you get, you get one of the best games of the evening and, and, and it definitely lived up to its billing. But, man, when Clipson turns it on, they're good. Ben Bowler, awesome. They got Wayne Gallman involved, anyway. they got David Scott involved, uh, Deshaun Watson is just that field general that you
0: that you love to have as a coach. Yeah, coach Ben Boer has become one of my favorite players in all of college football this yes. year. I love watching Absolutely. him play. Absolutely. Um I got a quick quick aside here for you, coach. This must be a tough this must be a tough game for you to root for because you've got your dad's alma mater on one hand and your wife's alma mater on the other.
1: Yeah, it was. Um you know, I think because I was sitting right beside her, I was rooting for Clemson, but um, it was hard for me not to get wrapped up in the war chant and all this stuff that Florida State does because I did grow up a Florida State fan um, until I went to Georgia and then realized how awesome Georgia was. So I went to uh, – became a, you know, Georgia fan primarily. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was, it was kind of difficult, but I felt like it was a win-win because Clemson wins, my wife's happy. Florida State wins, you know. Florida State wins. I, I like Florida State. I can root for Florida State. Um, the only the only thing I think that uh, edge wise that gave Clemson the slight edge as far as my rooting favor goes is I like Dabo Sweeney better than Bo Fisher. All right, as a coach. All
0: right. And then
1: same could be said about the, the coordinators,
0: um, especially the defensive coordinators. You're I like. Big, I know you're a big fan of Will Um yeah. Josh, Josh, anything to add here on this game?
2: Yeah, I mean, I just think that projecting forward Clemson, they're probably going to make the tournament unless something crazy happens. I just, you know, they're past their hardest games, and the other division in the ACC is, is just can't match up with them. So you would expect Clemson to, to get to the tournament at 13-0. and 0. But um, I just don't see how they can win two playoff games with this formula. They gave up. 450 yards. They gave up a ton of passing yards to a freshman quarterback. They had nine penalties for 84 yards. Uh, Watson threw two picks, and they only averaged three and a half rushing yards. And that's just not a recipe for success against the three other best teams in college football. And on the flip side, for Florida State, they still have the same issues, and that's what really prevented them from having the breakthrough season that that we thought they were going to have. Yeah, you know, they gave up over 500 yards. Their defense is still bad. And then you talk about just shooting yourself in the foot: 13 penalties for 111 yards. It, it's like you do that; it's tough to beat even Boston College. I mean, that's a ton of yards to give up, and to do that against Clemson. It, it it just puts you so far behind the eight ball it's just it's not a polished product right now for Jimbo Fisher's team and it's just strange that they're having such lapses
0: I know. Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't seem like the uh, the, the seminal teams we've been used to watching over the past few years. Well, let's keep moving on over to the Big 12, where Texas won a thriller over Baylor at home, 35-34. Uh, both the teams were running the ball really well. Deontay Foreman for Texas, 250 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Baylor had two guys over 135 with uh, Terrence Williams getting 180, and quarterback Seth Russell she Went off some legs with a 138, including a, a 50 yarder uh, for a score. So it was a it, it was a back and forth game here, but huge win for for Coach Strong, right, Josh?
2: Yeah, a huge win for him, and probably a really disappointing win for the fans that want him fired. Because the more he wins, the harder it'll be to get rid of him. That's why you know, in retrospect, that's why LSU did what they did. Because if they were doing the success that Coach O's having with less miles, then it would have been harder to get rid of them. Um, this is the game where I'm looking at the stats. I just don't see how Baylor lost the game. You know, they, they outgained Texas pretty handily. They had over 600 yards, 10 of 20 on third down, 31 first downs to 19. Um, they had 400 rushing yards on a six-point-yard-per-carry average, the turnover margin was equal, and they had the ball for almost six minutes longer than Texas. It's It's just baffling, and this is why football is so many people's favorite sports, because, like, the little details of the game have such a big impact. For instance, Baylor on third down or 1 of 3 and 4th down. You know, what if they had chosen to punt? What if they had chosen the field goal? In those situations, maybe they have a different outcome because based on every statistical metric, Baylor should have won this game by I don't know, probably 10 points. So hats off to Texas for for a big win. It totally ruins the Big 12's chances at making the tournament, but uh hey, that's fun. That's what makes that's what makes football fun.
0: Definitely, right, Coach.
1: Yeah, I mean it. it really does, and and it's just kind of kind of the way it goes. You know, it's just like you know Charlie Strong. I'm, I'm happy for him. You know, everybody's rooting against him, and you know, and, and and I know he really wants to be there. But you know, it's kind of like a big middle finger to the to the Texas fans that are already making plans to you know where Tom Herman's going to live and when he's going to come, and they're, they're big plans for for that uh taking place and he's just kinda sticking it to him and you know I, I hope I hope he does all this and just leaves him high and dry. I hope he hope he stays, stays, stays and then leaves him high and dry. That would be fitting for uh for the technical people. But um you know as far as the game goes, uh even though Baylor lost, I've been thoroughly impressed with them. I in the preseason I, I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to handle all of those distractions with what was going on with the scandal and people seeming like they were jumping ship left and right. Uh, it seemed like everyone was bailing, but it, I don't think as many people bailed as, as it seemed. Uh, Jim Grove has done a tremendous job there uh, keeping that whole thing together. Now, are they the – I say BCS. Are they the, the uh, doorstep of the playoff team that they have been the last few years? No, they're not. But, you know, given what, what they've gone through, They've done a tremendous job at, at holding this whole thing together. And, and you know, you got to tip your hat off to, to Jim Grove. Even though he lost this weekend, um, he's done a, God almighty, he's done a tremendous job.
0: He really has done a tremendous job. And he's going to be a guy who I think is going to be in the running for uh, National Coach of the Year if, they, you know, if Baylor goes 11 1. Ten two. I mean, he's definitely a guy you're going to look at, especially coming in that late. You know, with such a short period of time before the season starts, he did. He's done a remarkable, remarkable job. Um, We got. You know, you know, he is. I know he's a little
2: older, but he's still only sixty four. Or if I'm Baylor at the end of the year, I just take the interim tag off of him, and you know that you have three to four, maybe even five years of stability because. There are so many big-time jobs out there with LSU, potentially, if they don't hang on to Coach O, Texas, potentially. Uh, You know, there's some massive jobs out there. This feels like a bad time if you're one of the second-level programs to be doing a coaching search.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely not going to be, you know, they, they would not definitely have the first pick of all of the job openings. Um, well, let's move over to a place that has recently filled a job opening, which one of Josh's favorite up-and-coming coaches. The huge, huge upset in Laramie, Wyoming taking down Boise State 30-28. to 28. Josh, uh, I mean, you know, none of us picked the upset, but you're higher <laughs> on with Wyoming than the rest of us, and they are now in the driver's seat in the Mountain West.
2: Yeah, you know, they um, – I said that they had – a one-sided offense that they were relying too much on rushing and that they didn't have a good enough defense. And I know their defense did a lot of bending. Um, <laughs> if you give me a second to bring up the stats. They, uh, they gave up 487 yards, so that's a lot of bending, <laughs> 328 of the air, but 28 points is so all they gave up. And they were phenomenal on third down. They held Boise to just two of eight. And on the flip side, I had talked about how they were really, really one-sided rushing the ball, which is what Craig Bowl likes. And they had a nice, nice running attack. Brian Hill had about 46 on 28 carries. Uh, They rushed for over 215 yards as a team. But Josh Allen, their quarterback, he picked the best day possible to have his best game of the year. 18-31, 274, three touchdowns, just one pick. He also contributed 53 rushing yards. And he hit Jacob Hollister over and over and over. Hollister had six receptions, 144, with two touchdowns. Awesome day by that passing attack. And I think that caught Boise State off guard because I guarantee you their coaching staff and their defensive staff was doing like I was and going, wow, Wyoming's improved, but they're super one-sided. I don't think they expected the Cowboys to be able to pass at all. And then lastly, let's give some love. They wanted on the safety, that incredible defensive effort on the last uh, few uh, few series they ran crunch time late in the fourth quarter to force the uh, quarterback pressure that results in the safety. Hats off by Wyoming. Uh, I don't know. There's been a lot of good games. That Penn State game is certainly one of them. So I'm not ready to call this the upset of the year, but for the group of five, this is without a doubt the upset of the year down there in the group of
0: five. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that that, that might match up with them, the group of five, was that initial uh, Navy went over Houston. But now that Houston has been slipping, you know, that wind doesn't look, you know, the shine is off that one a little bit. Uh, coach, yeah, but
2: you know, you know, Navy's had a lot of success, and they run a, a such a difficult offense to scheme for. It almost feels like a slap in the face to say that Navy pulled off an upset. I think to those Navy players, they're
0: like, we won a game we're supposed to. Wyoming
2: Wyoming has been,
0: frankly, bad for a while. Yeah, this is true. This is true. All right, Uh, Coach, anything to add here on this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I can't really say much more than what what Josh said. He put it so so perfectly. But, you know, you just got to – it excites me that teams that have been down in the dumps the, the culture's been bad at Wyoming. It's just been meh. They've been kind of like the doormats of the Mountain West. They've been beat up on and picked on and bullied around in the conference, and all of a sudden they get a chance to do the same thing back, and they took advantage of it. And, you know, they had a big stage, and in my preview, I, I wasn't sure that they were ready for the type of game. Um, they proved me wrong. They were ready for this type of game and they took full advantage of all the momentum that they've built up to this point. They took advantage of the home crowd. They took advantage of the energy inside the stadium. They took advantage of the energy that they used to feed off each other with. Uh, And they took advantage of great game planning, a great week of practice. And just, they were ready for that situation. They were ready to win that game and advantage of it. And I, you got to be proud of the of the Cowboys for that. Now with Boise State, uh, you know they were not expecting that. They probably came in thinking they're good, but they're not as good as we are, and that'll get you beat. That kind of mentality will get you beat. So uh, hats off to the Cowboys. Um, they're in the driver's seat now, uh, and the uh, the river is clear for. Western Michigan to just kind of roll on down to the New Year's 6 if they went out. Um, all the debris is out of the way. P.J. Fleck is rowing his boat. He's rowing ferociously now so that nothing stays in his way or nothing gets in his way. So, um, if you're a Western Michigan fan, you definitely have to love this. So, um, But that, that's really it. I mean, Wyoming just, they, they turned over a new leaf as a program. Programs that Programs that had the culture that Wyoming has, um, even if they do get positive momentum, they usually never win these games, these type games. But programs that had these type of cultures and legitimately turn their culture around, these are the type of games that they win to get their culture turned around. Louisville did the same thing. The the Rutgers did the same thing. Rutgers when when they went through their Ray Rice period where they were really good in the Big East, um, uh, They went through this phase where they actually had to win a couple of these games before they got themselves back on the map. And then now, you know, now they're back down and they're trying to find their way back up. But people are still talking about Rutgers like, you know, they're down, meaning at some point if you're down, you had to have been up. Or otherwise they wouldn't talk about you at all. So,
0: I I, I got to
2: say, go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say the thing about Wyoming, too, is, you know, Coach, I think, brought up a fantastic point about how teams kind of ebb and flow. And when we think of those great air raid BYU attacks back in the whack when BYU was just amazing in the 80s, won a national title, was consistently good. Their biggest test every year was Wyoming. Wyoming was one hell of a program back in the 80s, and it it just kind of slipped away from them. I don't know the program well enough to know what exactly happened, but this is a team that would – Oh, football grew around them and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, with some different luck, with some different breaks, you know, Laramie's not much different than Boise. There's no reason that the Boise State history of the 90s and 2000s couldn't have been Wyoming. So it's really fun to see them – Off the upset, get back on the mat. And also, this is a game that Boise didn't play poorly in there. It's always a little weird when you pull off an upset, but the team has like five or six turnovers. So I was like, well, are we really that good? Was it just sloppy? Boise, like I said, they put up big offensive numbers.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's got to be something in the water out there. in... Um, out in in the Rockies right now. I mean, Wyoming's good. Boise State's still very good. Colorado's good. Uh, Montana's doing really well in FCS, so is Eastern Washington. Washington State is good. There's something going on in in those mountain towns right now when it comes to football. Um, But we got to get to our final game of uh, the weekend today in the Rocky Mountains, uh, where we head to uh, Salt Lake City, where Utah, Josh, I think impressed you more in their loss this week. They had any of their victories so far uh, with Washington dropping them at home 31-24. Uh, to 24. Uh, So, uh, Josh, what, what, what did you think here? I know you moved them up in your poll, actually.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had Utah unranked and they had they were 7-1 without playing anybody. And I just didn't know if they were that good of a team. I thought the Washington Huskies would expose them and blow them out of the water, and it was completely different. Utah was the first defense to make Browning look human. They were the first defense to get Washington in a little bit of a rut. They went 4 of 11, on third down. Uh, they held Washington to technically just 24 points because obviously the last touchdown was the special team score. So the defense was phenomenal. And as a result, I actually put Utah – into my poll, finally, based on a loss. Um, and I was just incredibly, incredibly uh, impressed with Utah's defense. And their offense, their offense was only out gained by nine yards. They had a really nice day rushing the ball, over 200 rushing yards on that Husky defense. That was incredible. But uh, good teams find ways to win, and great teams Find ways to avoid the terrible, calamitous loss. And I don't know if Washington's great yet, but they're certainly good and they found a way to win. I mentioned the special teams touchdown uh, there at the end. They, of course, had Dante Pettis house the punt return, uh, which was impressive. But their, their rushing attack, they just relied on so much. Miles Gaskin, the huge day. It was obvious from the get-go that Utah was concerned about Browning carving them up, and so Washington just went basic. Gaskin had 19 carries, a buck 51, and a score that's a really, really impressive 7.9-yard average. And LeVon Coleman also got in the act with eight carries for 60. That's a 7.5 average. When your two leading rushers are seven and a half yards or higher, you're doing work with the ground game. I was really impressed with how Washington got a punch in the mouth but didn't panic. They just hunkered down, relied on on two really good players, Gaskin and Coleman, and then Pettis, obviously, with the game breaker
0: there at the end. Uh, I, I guess I just want to say that even though Jake Browning did not have his greatest game of the year, that was definitely like you alluded to, Josh, uh, that the Utah defense was completely planned around him. And I was – You know, still very, very impressed with this Washington team. And, you know, they've, I'm so excited for the Apple Cup, man. It's going to be a fantastic game. I'm really hoping that, um, you know, both both those teams are on their A game because it could be a a very high scoring affair. this year in, for the two Washington teams. So um, I think that's going to have to wrap it up for us today. So uh, on behalf of the uh, recently departed, not from this earth, but just from this podcast coach, <laughs> and on behalf of um, our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, uh, who, although in Chicago, is uh, rooting very hard against the Cubs. Um, oh, I, I'm not. Stop putting words in my mouth. Uh, no, you put them in your own mouth. Um <laughs> So on behalf of uh, these guys, uh, that we're going to say so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion.